and welcome everybody into a special episode of the Mind Sculptors. I'm your host, Callahan, and uh, joining me is uh, my wonderful co-host, Pongo. Pongo, how you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to be here, as always. Yeah. Um, before we get into the episode, just a quick reminder, make sure you go over to our Patreon page and uh, subscribe if you can. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Subscription gets you access to our Discord server where you can interact with all of the Sculpty Boys, as we call ourselves. Um, today we've got a great guest who is actually on our server. He's uh, one really awesome guy. Um, somebody who really kind of encouraged me to get started with podcasting in general is uh, Braden from CDHCast. Braden, how's it going? Great. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good, actually. I'm I'm had quite the week, but I'm pretty excited to get going. Um, and today, uh, so so Braden, you're known for a series uh, that you do called Greedy Keeps, correct? Yes. Okay. And so, what is Greedy Keeps exactly? Just to break it down for some people sure. who might not know. I bring people on who have played a deck or brewed a deck or are pretty knowledgeable about some archetype in the format. And we do a whole bunch of test hands and talk about the strategies in the deck, what kind of cards they play, why they play those cards. And then in the mulligans, we go down and see what kind of strategies they use to get the best hands and the greediest hands they can possibly get. Okay. Well, today we're going to do an episode of Kitty Greeps, which is 100% not what you do. It's not the same thing. Um, sure. It is... Uh, we're going to have somebody on and uh, we're going to look at a deck and uh, somebody who's built the deck uh, knows a lot about it, maybe played it a bunch um, and can really help us figure out how what's going on. And then we'll look at mulligans and uh, really kind of see what you want to be doing there. So, you know, like I said, it's different. Um, the, the main <laughs> difference is that the Moxfield randomizer won't screw over all our guests. <laughs> Fair. Tough, but fair. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be looking at um, Braden's... Uh, this is one of your newer Corvold lists, isn't it? The, you just This it's, was played in the last Time Twisted tournament, wasn't it? So I didn't play in the last Time Twisted twist, Yeah, I didn't play in the last Time Twisted tournament. But this is... Uh, I think it's, a, it's around that time. Uh, I made some changes based off of feedback I got from a few members of the Corvold community. And I tested out some cards that ended up just being straight gas, and also added cards from Commander Legends. So, it's a it's like a newer take on on Corvold. Okay, um, so just walk us through a couple things because you know you you did make some changes here. Um, so, as far as changes, what were the big changes you did with this? So the biggest is so there were a few changes, but I'd say the biggest one is uh, is grinding station. Mm -hmm. So, Grinding Station is a two-mana artifact. Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield, you untap it. Well, under your control. Actually, no, it's whenever it comes into play. Yeah, wow, that's yep. insane. Uh, that's actually just nuts. Yes, Grinding uh, Station gets crazier every time you read it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then you tap and sack an artifact, and target player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. So, that goes infinite with Unwell Breach super easily. You just play as a zero or mana positive rock over and over again, decking yourself. And if you have a Corvold in play, you're going to be drawing a card each time you do that. So really quickly, you can get tons of advantage. 
you know, player Praetor's Grasp, Grasp someone's Thassa's Oracle, win the game. You can make tons of mana by just tapping your Mox Opal over and over again, or your Mana Crypt or your Soul Ring. And additionally, it's super powerful when you're storming off because you can just be like, all right, I'll play this Talisman, tap the Talisman for mana, sack it, because uh, you tap it in response to the ETB trigger. Uh, then you mill yourself for three, you draw a card, oh, I hit a reanimation spell, I milled my Dockside, all right, I'll go off and win. That's kind of magical Christmas land, but a lot of times it works a lot like that. So it's really powerful. Awesome. Um, so you did that big change. Um, you know, I, I saw you have Wheel of Misfortune in this list. Mm -hmm. um, what has your experience been with Wheel of Misfortune? So this deck's kind of interesting. It's like a because you're like a dockside deck before you're an ad nauseum deck, you can actually be a little bit more aggressive with your life total with Wheel of Misfortune. So where some decks you can kind of get into this awkward spot where like everyone kind of knows that you just need to draw seven and they'll pay like a relatively high amount of life. Uh, you can kind of match that or at least like play along and uh, be fair. Um, I, I think it, Wheel of Misfortune is actually a surprisingly skill testing card, but it's been really powerful in, in my uh, testing. The, it's, it's pretty much only bad when an opponent has the nuts and you're trying to be disruptive or when there's a whole breach room play. That's that's about it. And Wheel of Fortune already is pretty bad with a whole breach room play. So Wheel of Misfortune really has only lost its ability to be disruptive. And when we're wheeling in this deck, we're really just trying to draw seven cards for three mana. We're not really trying to be that disruptive. Okay. Um, and then... As far as, because I think this is very interesting because this list looks very f similar uh, to the Jessica Farm list, Jessica Timna Farm list that is out there. Um, and so, what is the big advantage to running green over white in this? So, I think it's it's uh, tutor density. So, if you think of like who are the best two colors for tutoring out Dockside, it's green and red, right? You mm -hmm. have you get your worldly tutors, your eldritch evolutions, uh, your finale of devastations, and you get to play all those cards, which are just insane. Then you also get to play the imperial seals, the vampiric tutors, the wish claw talismans, and so if you think Dockside is the best card in the format, which uh, you know that might be a hot take, but uh, I think it's pre it's pretty high up there, um, and you want to like break Dockside, I think. Uh, Jund is a good place to start if you just want to always have a Dockside in your starting hand. Corvold then lets you take advantage of that by saying, hey, even when I don't have an Ad Nauseum to like, take advantage of this mana, I have this guy in the command zone that draws cards when I sacrifice treasures. So that's kind of the appeal of Corvold and being in Jund is you kind of get some consistency and you get uh, tutor density and you get a really cool card advantage engine in the command zone. Okay. The downside uh, is is that your breach lines get a little bit more awkward because you don't have silence. So you can't right. really use Wheel of Fortune as like a breach combo. Okay. Um, so when it comes to win cons in this list, what are what are some of the win cons in this? Sure. So there's like, it depends on what you're asking. So if you're asking how do I make infinite treasures, uh, there's quite a few ways. If you're asking how I end the game, uh, there's really only like three ways I end the game. So um, the first one is I uh, Praetor's Grasp my opponents to death by either repeatedly cast casting Praetor's Grasp until their decks are gone using uh, like Eternal Witness Loops, or I 
steal their Thassa's Oracle. I play the Thassa's Oracle. I have no deck, and then I win that way. Additionally, I have a Finale Devastation, so if I have infinite mana from Dockside, I can uh, you know, just make a Finale for 10 billion, attack all of my opponents with my Dorks that have haste, and I win that way. Additionally, you can use like Deathrite Shaman, like the Get Roglis do a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Because you have Grinding Station, you can mill your opponent's decks so that you can you know, make sure they have enough uh, instants and sorceries to grind them out. Okay. Well, interesting. Um, so this is a list that, you know, uh, has definitely exploded in popularity. Uh, you have a couple cards in the sideboard, specifically Seal of Fire and Tiber Sabretooth. Um, what is the, is that your maybe board or what's going on there? So if you're really scared of opposition agent and whole breacher, I think seal fire is a really cool card. You can just play it out on turn one and it kind of acts like a stacks piece that says like, I dare you. Um, you know, if you want to play your whole breacher, get ready to get shocked. Uh, and then teamer Sabretooth is kind of this interesting card where if you are running into a lot of graveyard hate, which is like a pretty reasonable answer to this deck like hey you've seen a lot of corbel in your meta i I think it's a good idea to be playing grafter's cage teamer sabertooth lets us have a win condition that doesn't have to revolve around the graveyard because if you look at the rest of our win conditions they they all do revolve around the graveyard but in my experience teamer sabertooth is actually a pretty bad card when we're trying to manually storm off and uh corpse dance does a much better job at doing that so i made the cut uh corpse dance uh for steamer sabertooth but if I ever play in a metagame where I'm seeing a lot of uh, graveyard hate, I think it's very reasonable to bring back in Teamer Sabretooth, either in exchange for Corpse Dance or just in addition to it. Okay. So. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of is my questions. Pongo, what are what are your? Do you have any questions here? Yeah. So I'm gonna ask this uh, somewhat for the benefit of, of our audience. Um, so obviously we just talked about how Team or Sabretooth is kind of like a notable exclusion from the main deck. Uh, do you want to walk us through a little bit how you actually end up going infinite despite not having Team or Sabretooth in your deck? Sure. So we have a few cards that actually get the job done. Uh, they mostly revolve around, uh, if they're not involved in Underworld Breach, I already mentioned the uh, Grinding Station combo, but there's also a combo with Underworld Breach and Stitcher Supplier, where we play Calling the Week, we Calling the Week our Stitcher Supplier, which mills us for six. When we play it and sack it, uh, replay Stitcher Supplier, we make tons of mana. Doesn't make infinite mana, but that makes a lot of mana. So the rest of our infinite mana combos are all Dockside combos. So we have a few cards that uh, that work with that, but the two big ones are Agonim's Awakening and Corpse Dance. Both of them require a sack outlet. So with Corpse Dance, it's a reanimation spell for the top creature in your deck, or in your uh, graveyard. Uh, so graveyard order does matter in this deck. And what you do, it has buyback too. So if your Dockside makes five mana, what you do is you can just play Dockside, uh, reanimate Dockside with Corpse Dance, make pay for the buyback, put it back in your hand, sack Dockside, uh, replay uh, Corpse Dance, bring back Dockside, sack Dockside. And as long as you're making five mana, you'll be mana neutral. And then once you're mana neutral, you can draw your deck if Corvold's in play, because every time you sack a treasure, you draw a card. And then you just need to find a Wishclaw Talisman to get to infinite mana, or maybe that can like feed you into one of your other combos. Uh, Wishclaw Talisman lets you just give an extra artifact to one of your opponents. So that's one of the ways. And the other way is using Agnum's Awakening. So Agnum's Awakening is a uh, X black, 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 
for a sorcery. Return from your graveyard to the battlefield any number of target creature cards that have different mana costs of X or less. So if you get Eternal Witness, Dockside, and a Sack Outlet creature, uh, it, ha it has to be Viscerous here to start. You can sack all three of those creatures and then bring them back. So if if you make seven mana off a of Dockside, which sounds like a lot, but it's definitely not impossible. It's, I've definitely won with this combo a few times. You can start generating infinite treasures, and then you just feed that into your Corvold. So there's also uh, a breach line with Dockside with LED, where you uh, play play Dockside, uh, you sack it to let's say uh, Scruff Prospector, which is a cr creature that sacrifices goblins. You uh, make some, you make a whole bunch of treasures. You sack them to draw cards. Then you play your LED, which discards your hand, and now you'll end up with tons of mana. Tons of cards in your graveyard and dockside and LED in your graveyard, and then you can just keep doing that. And you won't make infinite mana, but you'll make like an arbitrarily large amount of mana as long as you make enough treasures. Very nice. And um, just because I fully anticipate that we're going to get some questions about this uh, on the video itself, um, so you've essentially deliberately chosen to forego having like a two card combo with Timur Sabretooth in favor of having three card combos. Uh, do you want to walk us through kind of in an actual gameplay situation, how do you sort of bridge that, let's say, increased um, yeah. difficulty of assembling your combo? Uh, and, and what is the rationale for deciding to not have a sure. two-card combo? That's a great question. So a lot of the times what this deck's trying to do is it's trying to play a Corvold and a Dockside on the same turn and then reanimate that Dockside. So... Uh, that's why there's so many rituals, so that we can cast all of our rituals, then have enough mana floating that even if Dockside doesn't make you know, seven mana, we can still play Corvold, sack Dockside to Corvold, because Corvold has an ETB trigger where you sack a creature, a sack permanent. Then we have the reanimation spell in our hand, which is why we're on like 10 reanimation spells, reanimate the Dockside. Now we'll have some mana floating, we'll get 10 more, or not 10 more, but we'll get some amount more treasures, and now we're drawing tons and tons of cards. So. That's the kind of the game plan, right? And so a lot of the time what ends up happening is we're playing a manual storm deck where we're trying to piece together a whole bunch of cards in our deck to assemble some type of uh, you know, multi-card combo. Uh, so what this means is, is a lot of the time we'll find a tutor, right? And we'll have drawn like 20 other cards or 10 other cards. And so the tutor just needs to find the, you know, either the corpse dance or the sack outlet or the underworld breach, right? And then if you get the Underworld Breach, then you can just, you know, replay your removal spell that kills your dock side, that lets you reanimate your dock side. And so a lot of the time what you're doing is you're just chaining these spells together. And because of that, because you're seeing so many cards, it's it, and you have so many ways of recasting your tutors or doing all that, it actually becomes more important that the cards in your deck that are comboing are actually useful during the midpoint between having, you know, a ton of resources and having very few resources. So for example, if you have three mana left over after you've played your Corvold and your Dockside and sacked your Dockside, Team or Sabretooth is not very useful. But a Corpse Dance will be incredibly useful because then you can get back your Dockside, make tons of treasures, and try start you know trying to dig deep and, and go off. So that that's why a lot of the time we'd rather you know play these three-card combos because they're useful in bridging us from the point in the game where we're very resource light and you know going forward on turn two or turn three to that point later in the turn where we just have like so many resources it's very hard for us to lose. 
So I don't know if that was a is that a good explanation? Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it seems interesting. Yeah, yeah no. a lot of the time you're just push. You're trying to like push this deck to be as fast as possible to get under interaction, and so it's about having a density of effects so that you don't have to like actually tutor for the reanimation spell. You just have to tutor for the dock side or so that when you rip three off the top, the chances are that you will hit, the chances are very high that you'll hit like a reanimation spell or a tutor. Like if you have three treasures and you hit a vampire tutor off the first treasure, you can then, you know, grab your reanimate, reanimate dock side. Then you get another spin at the, uh, at the wheel. And then once you hit your breach, then you can, you know, that's how a lot of the turns play out that you win is uh, you just like, you get three chances to hit <laughs> hit what you need and you just need to have the density of spells that get you there when you see them. There's certainly a, a trade-off when it comes to, um, you know, playing certain cards like Team or Sabertooth that may not necessarily help you while you're spinning your wheels, as you put it, um, but can kind of like smooth out your lines and then obviously yeah. trying to maximize on the... Um, applicability and, and kind of the um, let's say like bridging or, or multiple purposes the um, kind of versatility of the various pieces that you're running uh, so I can totally understand how that that's an interesting direction to be uh, to be exploring um, I would have to personally see it in action to know whether or not to you know yeah. that makes sense to me but I can I can definitely understand the rationale you're going yeah. for it's so. uh, one thing I found is it's like kind of made me feel less crazy is I've had a few people pick up the deck who I trust as like pretty competent players and they'll be they'll kind of question a lot of these like strange choices and then they'll play the deck and be like oh I see like you get into this position a lot of the time where you know you have two mana up there's a corbold in play and a dockside in your graveyard that's why you're on this reanimation spell that isn't that good it's like yeah I just need the density um there's well, actually but two mana doesn't get you there with corpse dance right so you need the third mana oh yeah sorry i mean like a uh, dance of the dead is what i meant sorry oh sure. names are all very similar yeah because you see dance of the dead you're like oh this is a two mana reanimation spell enters tapped that's not great but you just kind of need that kind of density of uh, reanimation spells at a certain point or you may even see hey why don't you just play like a razaket right you're on all these reanimation spells you're on in tune why not just have the the uh you know the redundancy of effects so if something happens to your dock side you can do it and i had the same thoughts for a long time and what i found is i lost more games to uh hitting a razaketh off ad nauseum or hitting a <laughs> razaketh when i was just trying to dig for literally anything than i had games where dock side was exiled you know mm -hmm. so that's kind of the, the thought yeah process. i mean there's there's definitely something to be said about not being on Razaketh in a turbo knowledge list. Yeah. Um, that makes total sense to me. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a very interesting list to the very, very least. Um, I know that, um, somebody played this list during time twisted, right? Um, it was a slightly different list. It, okay. They, they had like a different name for it and they were playing a few cards I cut so mm -hmm. I started this list out as Deco's list. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys are familiar uh, with him, but yep. he has a pretty popular list, which is called Demon Chain. And what I did is I started with that list and cut Food Chain and added like some more Storm, like you know, cards like uh, cards that are like similarly seen with like you know Storm decks. But it honestly wasn't that different. And I just kept cutting 
cards that weren't useful in the game type of games I was playing. You know, I have a certain play style, right? And so, yeah, I was being aggressive with my 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 deck, and I'd found you know there were cards that weren't useful when I wasn't being aggressive, so I cut those cards. And so I feel like the list that was played at the uh, time twisted event was sort of like a was copied was like forked at a different point in development, if that makes sense. Right. So there's a few cards there that like I figured out pretty quickly were not especially good anymore that I were still in there just because of the time in which it was forked. Right. So, so you bring up your play style, and uh, that's uh, a great p- uh, place to be. So um, basically what we're going to do here now is uh, I'm going to do throw you guys some uh, some seven-card hands, and you're going to tell me whether you would keep it, ship it, and uh, in the rationale. So uh, the first seven that I've got for you is... Um, Seven, seven hand, seven cards. Obviously, uh, Jessica's will, nature's claim, crop rotation, wooded foothills, cabal ritual, diabolic intent, and blood crypt. So we'll start with Braden here. Uh, Braden, do you keep or ship this hand? I ship it. Um, there's no tutor for Dockside. There's no card advantage engine. Uh, there's Jessica's will, but Jessica's will is kind of awkward in this deck. It's really powerful after Corbold's resolved. And it's good in the late game if you just need to see three cards, but there really isn't a... Uh, there's no way to like try to win on turn two here, which is like, or three, and that's like really what the deck wants to do, is it just wants to like jam it as quickly as possible, and this hand doesn't really do it. Okay. Uh, Pongo, what do you think of it then? Yeah, I, I tend to concur. Uh, if an opening hand doesn't have like Mana Crypt, Sol Ring, um, you know, like Mana Vault, or a Jeweled Lotus, or like a Dockside Extortionist, I'm, I'm already kind of like beginning to doubt whether or not it's going to be good enough in a lot of situations and <laughs> this this hand you know not only does it have none of those really really powerful cards that we really want to see in a deck like this um you know it also has like some serious tension with the diabolic content not having a creature to sacrifice yeah, right and, you know uh yeah it's it's just kind of a little bit subpar and it's a first seven so let's let's ship it and see something a little bit more explosive now if this is Let's say, and I'll posit this to both of you guys. Um, if this is the, if this, if you're on Mulligan six, so you have to mold a six. If this is where you have to put one on the bottom, are you keeping this and putting one on the bottom and rolling the dice, or are you keeping I, it? I or, think I go to five every okay. time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I agree. I'm going to five. I think that makes sense. Uh, next hand, uh, I think is a little bit better. It's a City of Brass, Wheel of Misfortune, Polluted Delta, Talisman of Resilience, Exotic Orchard, Nature's Claim, Elves of Deep Shadow. Uh, Pago, we'll start with you. Uh, what, what, what would you do with this hand? So this is a second seven. Um, I'm probably mulliganing this too, to be completely honest <laughs> with you, on a second seven. Yeah. Um, this hand does not seem substantially better to me. I mean, it is substantially better than the last hand because obviously it's it's got some less tension and it's actually got kind of a bit more of a game plan i just don't think that that game plan is quite strong enough uh for where i would want it to be on a seven card hand right. um yeah i might keep this if i'm going much much lower but definitely it's feel like, like a, i can do better it's a decent five yeah maybe. exactly I, I i would probably consider keeping this on five but as a second seven i like i said it doesn't have any of those cards that i named earlier 
Right. And those are kind of like signpost cards for me, where if I see Especially, any of those, that's where I start getting interested in the hand. Yeah, and, and one thing I will say about this deck is I actually don't find myself keeping a lot of hands where you just like play a turn to Corvold. So even just like a hand with a Soul Ring and a man, or a, a Mana Crypt, you still have to kind of question. Although at this point, if we're going down to six, uh, you're going to be a little bit more you know, free. <laughs> you're going to be a little more lenient. But I, this hand doesn't this hand doesn't quite quite do it for me. Yeah, okay. definitely the cards that I mentioned on their own um, don't necessarily make a hand, but they you know combined with some other cards in hand are the types of things that I'm looking for. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't take much more beyond those cards. Is yeah. what I'm saying. That's fair. Um, so now we're going down to six, uh, and so the seven on the six is Badlands. Birds of Paradise, LED, Necromancy, Finhorn Elves, Slaughter Pact, and Bloodstained Mire. What are we doing on this? Uh, we'll start with Braden. Can you read it back to me again? I was li- I was like listening for a, a green source that entire time. And I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, start with the lands. Uh, uh, yeah. So the lands are Bloodstained Mire and Badlands. Um, your creatures are Birds of Paradise, Finhorn Elves. You have an LED, a Necromancy, and a Slaughter Pact. Hmm. At six, I think uh, I think I'm probably gonna get a little bit greedy here. There's just no tutor and no source of card advantage. We keep, we don't even have a turn two Corvold, which is like already on the kind of questionable. But it's like a turn three Corvold, which is just not good. Uh, if you, if you, I don't know. I have no reason to think my opponents are gonna like just you know turn one in tomb dockside. But if you expect them to do that for some reason, well, uh, to, the necromancy yeah. is kind of cute. But to be clear, there is a turn two Corvold there off the yeah. LED. Oh, you're right, off the LED, but then you're discarding your hand. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that either. <laughs> it's not a Same. great place to be. Yeah, I I, I would uh, throw this one back too. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to five as well uh, for right. pretty much all the same reasons that Brayden mentioned. All right. Uh, give me a second here. I'm going to cut this out because I forgot to take a screenshot of this. Well, you have been reading out the hands, so. Well, I have, but I'm also doing this for, like, ease of remembering them sure um all right okay so we're going down to five this starting five and we'll start with pongo and here's the lands uh we've got two fetches with misty rainforest and verdant catacombs a bayou forbidden orchard finale of devastation led again and mox diamond in uh, pongo what are you doing here On five, uh, I think I'm kind of required to keep this hand. Um, It does have some desirable traits. Obviously, we have like a Mox Diamond, which is nice. Four lands, not great, but like we're bottoming lands, I think, almost every time. And then the finale is a Dockside Extortionist, so I like that. Uh, We're pretty close. Like, it won't take a lot to get like a turn two Dockside or a turn three Dockside, something like that. Uh, so on five, I think there's a pretty reasonable chance I'm keeping and bottoming maybe just a couple of lands here um, and hoping to top deck something. I think I bottomed the Forbidden Orchard and the LED. I think that's that's probably right. Uh, that way you have three lands and a finale and you just hope you hit like an Elvish Spirit Guide off the top or something so you can get a turn two Dockside. Yeah, that's so that's an interesting consideration. I think that's really the only consideration with this hand is whether or not you bottom two lands 
and like hope to draw your second land for turn uh mm-hmm. or you bottom the led and just you know rely on having uh, yeah. two lands for sure and i i don't know i think at five i'm more tempted to get greedy and hope that i top deck a land in my first two draws yeah i guess i the way i see it like i i just got burnt today actually keeping an led over something else and although led is really sick with corbold because it is a cantrip uh so you actually can like set up some really cool stuff with top deck tutors um where you you know you cast your top deck tutor and then crack your led to draw the card make the mana um i i think especially in starting hands led can leave a little bit to be desired uh you know of course if we just crack like a you know an underworld breach off the top we're just in magical christmas land we start doing broken stuff but i think i want the i want to make sure i have two lands in play on turn two and uh the high the high point is that i just hit like a mana vault off the top and i get to like you know get a Dockside out on turn two with mana up and slam Corval, draw some cards, hit something, gas. Um, yeah, although, you know, fun. having the LED would be really useful to have after the finale resolves if I do hit acceleration. So it's it's definitely um, it's definitely hard. If you can go like, you know, turn, somehow turn two Dockside with an LED in play, holy smokes, that's nuts. Because then you can just like, you have nothing left in hand, you crack it. Uh, so it, it's hard to say. I think that this hand is not so busted where I feel kind of like I have a certain amount of pressure to have to top deck something that is going to bring the plan together. Uh, And if I keep two lands here and I just, you know, draw lands, I feel like my chance of winning the game is super, super low. So I would much rather sort of bank on finding a land, right? If you bottom LED in a land, you're keeping three lands. Which yeah, one of them you're pitching? Yeah, right. So like, it's basically like, I think I win if I hit gas. Like if I hit straight gas off the top in a row, I win. I think if I don't, I lose. Like if I just hit two lands off the top, no matter what I bottom, I think we lose, right? Like if I just hit draw two lands in a row, we're dead. But if I hit, if I keep the two lands and then hit like a mana vault and like a tutor, I think we're like in a really good spot. Well, I mean, that's probably true either way. But. Yeah, so, I mean, you can still find non-land mana sources off the top, right? And yeah. in, in that position, I think you still want to have fewer lands. That's um, true. So, I mean, yeah, it's it, it's really, again, how greedy do you want to get? I do think <laughs> that uh, in the first two draws, uh, I tend to expect to find a second land here. Um, although... Yeah, that's fair. You know, I, certainly within like three draws, I typically anticipate to find a land. Yeah, and you know what? We are on 30 lands technically because we have the modal DFC. Um, so maybe that, you know, that's fair that we just bottom two lands and expect to get there. Right. And in, in seven cards, you typically get like two point, like one lands or something like that. So, I mean, I typically think that in three draws, I find a land based on that. I don't know that the math actually works out that way, especially because you're bottoming a certain amount of lands as well, which skews yeah. the ratios. But I, I still do think that, you know, you're you're fairly likely, if not to find a land, then to find, like, a spirit guide or a mana rock or something like that. Um, you know, the deck plays not just 30 lands, technically, but also a lot of mana sources. So I think a lot of the... Uh, a significant amount of the time, you're going to top deck a mana source. Yeah, actually, I think I think the argument here, the best argument here for bottoming uh, a land, two lands, is that if you hit a dork off the top, you have a turn two finale with an LED in play, and that's just insane. Right. And that's super likely. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. I think you're right here. 
certainly okay. a question of how risk averse you want to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are playing Corvold, so you're you're kind of playing like this all in deck, right? So I mean, if oh, yeah. if you're playing this deck, um, being afraid of the risk is probably not. You're, you probably shouldn't play this deck, right? Like there is there is a good deal. Uh, look, like this deck. Like how well does this deck grind? That's an interesting question. Uh, it really that's a very difficult question to answer um, because. It has the tools and the abilities to grind insanely well, but really what it does is when it, if it gets an opportunity to grind at all, it usually just wins. So it's like, it's so explosive that if you really let it draw three cards, it can usually just like go, like start going for it and start leaning into it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it grinds well in that if you have like three treasures in play in a Corvold, like that's... That's, that's a lot of the way there. <laughs> yeah, Corvold right. draws a ton of cards, and when all of your cards are, you know, super explosive gas or, um, you know, essentially something that is going to allow you to start chaining and triggering Corvold more, then, yeah, it makes sense that while, you know, you do theoretically have this grind plan where, yes, Corvold is drawing you cards, um, it, it's not going to take too, too much in terms of critical mass to, uh, to get going. I, I will say one of the goals for this deck like one of the things this deck does really well that I, I'm really impressed by it is that we're not on a few cards that are explosive that people commonly see like uh, Orcish Lumberjack but Orcish Lumberjack has this strange effect where like it can sometimes end up with you having like two permanents in play where one's a Corvold and one's a land and I, I don't particularly like that because often the deck tries to win every turn like every turn it can kind of like as it tries to win it usually draws cards just thanks to the, you know, the way the deck is constructed, like Corvold draws you cards as you go for it. And so often it gets to this point where it has like a moment of weakness where, hey, do you have the counter spell or not? If they have it, you don't win. But you just drew like five cards on your way to that point of weakness. And so the next turn you can start to set something up again. And often like turns two, three, and four, or three, four, and five, you're gonna you're gonna be able to like go for it or at least threaten such powerful spells that they have to be answered. Which I which I really enjoy. That's interesting. I I would think that in a lot of situations you'd be pretty happy to uh, sacrifice one land to the lumberjack and then like theoretically just sacrifice the lumberjack after you I, power out. You know, Corvold. I thought yeah, it, I've had a lot of people like talk to me about that, and uh, it's kind of mixed. Like uh, Libertas, who uh, who has been picking up the deck lately, and I, I've been really happy to talk to you about the deck. He was also very skeptical of that too, and he played a couple of games with lumberjack, and uh, I think he. He came out of it feeling pretty similarly to me. There's just a lot of games where, like, you kind of just go for it on turn two, and then they kind of have a counterspell. But then on turn three, you get to, like, you know, reanimate a Dockside or something and kind of start start threatening it again. And Lumberjack makes it a lot harder because you'll end the turn with, like, just a land in play where the deck is able to, like, threaten. Usually, it's usually what the deck does is it threatens a couple wins in a row, and then it kind of runs out of gas. So, um, and Lumberjack kind of makes that more difficult in my experience. Hmm. It's just uh, interesting. Shall we move on to another hand? Yeah, sure. Um, let's go to the next seven since we decided we're going to keep that. I'm going to spare you the one that just came up. It was a no land hand with no artifacts in it. So I figured <laughs> I would save us that. Um, this one it looks a little bit more interesting. Um, it's got two lands, which, which is Swamp and Emergence Zone. A demonic tutor, dark ritual, tinder wall, wheel of fortune, and pyroblast. So, Braden, uh, what's your thought on this seven? 
this seems sick. Uh, it really depends. You said there was a talisman, right? Uh, no, uh, oh. it was a tinder wall. A tinder wall? Uh, yeah, this is a really interesting hand. I guess there's a couple ways you could sequence this, right? You could sequence it so that you go turn one ritual DT, uh, get Dockside, pass turn. There's also turn one Tinderwall, pass, turn two uh, Dark Ritual, uh, DT. Just, uh, uh, Brayden, before you get ahead of yourself on that, uh, I don't believe there's a green source in this hand. There's oh, is not. There not. Oh, okay. It's Emergent oh, yeah. Zone and a Swamp are your two mana sources. Oh, that, that's really awkward. Yeah, that was my thought. Mm. Because you're pretty much required to DT for, you know, theoretically another colored mana source. Or, you know, you hope to top deck it, right? And if you top deck it, then you're you're feeling really good. Yeah. And then you know, you can always on turn two, like, tutor for... Yeah, that's interesting. It's hard because I can't see the hands, and I'm very much a, uh, a visual <laughs> thinker. Uh, so it's hard for me to, like, visualize these hands. Um, so, yeah, it's... I'm not sure. Do you mind reading it to me one more time? Yeah, here. I'm going to see if I can just send it. No, I can't. Damn. Um, so it's Emergent Zone, Swamp. Those are your two lands. Demonic Tutor, Dark Ritual, Tinderwall, Wheel of Fortune, and Pyroblast. Hmm. If you hit any, any, any type of mana source, you can kind of like... You can be really aggressive here. Um... Because then you can find a, a red source for Dockside, or you can find... A, if You either have a red source for Dockside, so you can find Dockside, or you can always just wheel. Um, I don't know. Is this our first seven or second seven? This is our first seven. This is a, yeah, right. first. Hmm. I don't know. I think I might throw it back. I might be greedy. I honestly have a hard time picking. What do you think, Pongo? Uh, I think on a first seven, I'm inclined to throw it back. Um... It's just like there is a certain amount of risk, and we haven't mulliganed at all yet. Um, yeah. So I, th I think on a first seven, I'm more likely to be risk averse. Whereas you know when you get down to yeah. five, that's when I start playing a little bit more greedily, and I start to you yeah, know that's fair. theoretically keep one landers and you know <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the awkward part here is that it's oh you know wait ooh okay there is one line you can go. So here is one thing you should think about. If you t if you just play this out and you don't even get anything nuts, uh, if you draw a green, you can go on turn three. You can So you can turn one land, turn two DT. Turn three, if you've hit a green source, you can now go Tinderwall, uh, Dark Ritual, Necropotence. And now during your cleanup, your end step, you can win with Necropotence because you have an emergence zone. Yeah, it's, I mean, so there's a lot of good top decks with this hand, right? Any land is, like, pretty good here. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily fault someone for keeping it. It would be, a, in my opinion, a fairly greedy keep because you are definitely hoping to top deck your next colored mana source, I think, turn one. Uh, yeah. You, you can get there turn two and still cobble something together. But it's not really like the time frame you're hoping for things to occur on in that I case. That, I do think a turn three win with Necropotence is like not it's not bad at all. Especially with mana up for Final Fortune. Hmm. I think I would keep this. Because there's like the upside is okay, so best case scenario, you just hit the, the red source 
or, or like a like a taiga best case scenario you just hit a taiga um and now you can just like dt for dockside and then worst case scenario you just dt for necropotence and win on turn three okay yeah interesting for me i think the um the set of like cards that i would need to draw into with this hand it becomes a fair bit smaller uh you know especially if we compare it to the last five uh that we kept where yeah. essentially like any mana source even a non-land mana source was okay here we're really reliant on finding a green source or a red source so that i will say that we do win on turn three it with with no with with no so we yeah. so if we draw a red source we win on turn three with protection because we have pyroblast and then if we i mean it's even crazier if 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 we get the tinder wall too i mean that's also crazy but i think this is actually a keep i'm I'm gonna gonna change to a solid keep now that i've realized that we can just dt for necropotence okay and uh pongo are you still a ship or well so if we're dt'ing for necropotence on turn two then we're casting it on turn three with like not really much mana available so i don't know i i find that still like it's going to be a fairly rough line to actually pull off uh still fairly reliant on some specific draws if i'm understanding correctly at least uh yeah we just have to so we have to if the necropotence so one thing i like about necropotence is a lot of the time people will not counter the dark ritual because they'll think i'm just going to counter the adenos or i'm just going to counter the corbold or something like that or they 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 just don't counter the dark ritual a lot of the time and then a lot of time they don't think I tutored for Necropotence. It's also what happens a lot of the time. So especially if I just DT'd and then the next turn I play Dark Ritual, I feel like people are definitely going to think I'm going to be playing an Adnaws and then they'll just counter the Adnaws. And so if I have the Emergence Zone in play and I just have to hit a land off the top two, and if I hit a red source, I have protection. Uh, or even if I don't hit a land off the top two, I just have to hit e- either of my Spirit Guides with the Necropotence to be able to activate the emergence zone so i feel like a lot of times necropotence plays really well into people's interaction it is it is a non-creature spell so it gets hit by guardianship but it doesn't get hit by fluster storm or dispel or miscast or any of those spells or it gets hit by swan song so that's why i'm comfortable here is i really like one thing i like about this deck is that dockside and corvold uh and breach and necropotence they all dodge a sizable amount of the interaction in the format not all of it not even the majority of it probably, but enough of it that it does it does matter. And I, I, I like this hand. Okay. I think uh, we have some really cool lines where we just like play a turn two dockside if if which might be good enough. Or if we don't get lucky, we can always just play the turn two necropotence. Sweet. Turn three necropotence. Oh it's turn three, sorry. Sorry, I was misspoke. Yeah. Um well that's pretty much all we got uh again thanks for coming on Braden. um if people want to find you and cdh cast how can they find you yeah so we're on youtube and uh twitter and spotify and a lot of other cool places if uh, you listen to podcasts somewhere however you're listening to this podcast uh or video we're also there probably <laughs> uh, just at cdh cast so yeah check us out we uh on monday i don't know when this video is coming out monday the 7th i think of december we have a video coming out that's going to be a greedy keeps for uh, mirren of the clan of toth with alan of uh, mental misplays and ramp gang and 
I'm probably doing a video with someone this week about a single card because now we're doing those two. So, yeah, it'll be fun. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. And, uh, you know, thank you, the listeners, for joining us as well. Uh, Again, a reminder that if you want to support the show, help us keep the lights on and keep doing what we're doing. Uh, go over to our Patreon page where there you can become a patron, uh, hang out with Brayden in the discord server of ours. Uh, cause that is how you get access to the discord server. Uh, so head over there. Uh, it's pretty cheap and, uh, then you can get access to that and hang out with us. Uh, so with that, uh, thank you all for joining us and we will see you next time. <laughs>